0: 7.32. So, last week's gathering of NATO leaders in London generated international headlines. Descriptions ranged from nasty and two-faced to brain-dead and delinquent. Yet, this 70-year-old alliance did produce a joint declaration in the face of the common threat, or was perceived as a common threat, from Russia and China. Dr. Simon Sweeney, Senior Lecturer in International Political Economy and Business at the University of York, joins us now on the line. Good morning to you.
1: Yes, good morning.
0: So what is the biggest outcome from the summit uh, besides the drama that caught our attention surrounding North Korea and Justin Trudeau and some of the other key moments?
1: Well, well, I would say that the major outcome from this, the meeting is that there was actually less drama than might have been expected. The purpose of these meetings is to present a united front and NATO achieved that in spite of obvious divisions. There are divisions, but for, for media consumption and for public consumption, the statement that came from the meeting was one of unity. In other words, the statement talks about uh, the commitment of all 29 members of the alliance to um, hold together with a commitment to enhance capability uh, to support Article 5, which is a fundamental um, statement of intent uh, that says that if any member of the alliance is attacked uh, by an external uh, force, the other members will resolve to act in defense of that member state that has been attacked. So. In reaffirming Article 5, in reaffirming also the fundamental values of the alliance, uh, the statement is one of, of unity. And I think that's really the main outcome. What, what, the, what the statement doesn't do, and this is to be expected, it doesn't address the underlying problems that we know exist within the alliance.
0: Let's talk a bit more about Russia. If they all agree okay. that, uh, that there's this common threat from Russia, here we are three decades plus on from yes. the collapse of the Soviet Union. Is this overblown, or do they just need a, a common enemy, or, or what's your view on that?
1: Well, um, critics of NATO say that an alliance has to have a common enemy, and therefore it's convenient to identify Russia as the common enemy. But unfortunately, the record from Moscow is not a good one. Uh, And we can go back right as far as 2006 and the assassination of Litvinenko in a London hotel room, and then that was followed by the invasion into Georgia in 2008, Uh, then uh, subsequently uh, even more significant, I would argue, the um, annexation of Crimea, uh, formerly part of Ukraine, in 2014, and support for uh, Russian-speaking separatists in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. So th- there's there's been a lot of um, incidents, we can call them, and that's, at the very least, um, the shooting down of uh, uh, an airliner um, <laughs> over Ukraine is also implicated in this, and more recently the poisonings in Salisbury, a British city. So it's not surprising that um, NATO identifies Russia once again as a source of threat.
0: Weeks ahead of the summit, though, let's just take a step back here. French President Emmanuel Macron was calling NATO brain dead. And, yes. and, and you know, we had this idea that President Trump was about to completely... Um, diminish its power potentially and and we saw what happened with U- russia and ukraine how nato didn't seem to be able to stand up to to russia for example yes.
1: um yes indeed yeah i accept that and i also understand why macron provocative though it is described the the institution of nato as brain dead the reason he used the term brain dead is because nato members were saying and doing things without consultation with other nato members and therefore acting unilaterally making statements that were unilateral and and undermining the solidarity of the alliance so if we take for example trump and his inconsistent comments with regard to the future of nato we add to that um, uh... the u.s uh, withdrawing without consultation with NATO allies, from Syria, and Turkey then stepping into the breach with uh, attacks uh, in northern Syria, again without consultation um, with NATO allies, and the the Turkish attacks actually are um, in, effectively in support of, of um, the Assad regime, because the Kurdish forces that Turkey has an issue with, a long historical argument, of course, uh, with YPG. We understand that. But in attacking those forces, Turkey is attacking forces that had been combating the Assad regime, which is supported by Russia. So these are the fundamental divisions inside the alliance, and these are very serious. I'm absolutely not underestimating these. But they do explain why Macron comes in with his statement that the NATO as an institution is brain dead because members are doing things which are frankly uh, unacceptable in an alliance of 29 members.
0: Indeed. And I mean, the, the thing about brain dead also, there's the other side of that analogy, um, whether it was intended or not, that w- when somebody is, say, on a life support machine and they're declared brain dead, sure. it, it's, it's, it's like you've just got the basic... Uh,
1: You've seen the end of the organisation.
0: Right. You know, you might have a heartbeat, basically, but uh, yeah. it's, it's on its last legs. Uh, well, beyond last legs, actually, technically yeah. speaking. So um, th- what we've actually seen over the last few days suggests that it's, it's, it's actually a bit more alive than that.
1: Absolutely. Yes, it, d- it does suggest that. Macron is, is uh, you may say, provocative. What he wants is a response. He wants a response from Germany, and he wants a response from the United States and he wants a response from all the other members too. And, and, and in effect, the meeting, this is why I said right at the outset of our conversation, the meeting uh, has some success in producing a common statement.
0: How important is NATO in the context of what Britain's about to go through an election which uh, if it's not completely focused on Brexit is certainly heavily focused on Brexit and and, yes. and, and of course that could undermine various European alliances is NATO important for, for maintaining the strong NATO, European front
1: NATO is important for maintaining a European front, I believe, and I think that notwithstanding whatever happens with the Brexit story, the Brexit saga here in the United Kingdom, um, uh, the survival of NATO and Britain's contribution within NATO is extremely important. Um, and not only important to NATO, but important to the European Union. So I, I, I don't separate uh, NATO from the European Union. I think both are important institutions, post-1945 institutions, that have contributed much to stability in the European continent um, since the founding of NATO and the origins of the European Union. So I'm... I'm an institutionalist by instinct, and I I hope and believe that um, these organizations will survive even a trauma as significant as Brexit. Brexit hasn't happened yet. It looks as if it will happen. I, I think it is going to happen. But what we do not fully understand yet, because it hasn't been explained, is what will be Britain's relationship with the members of the European Union after the U.K. leaves. Uh, you mentioned the U.K. election here and saying it's very focused on Brexit. I think it has been focused on Brexit, but only in the most superficial way. So it hasn't dealt with the security aspects of Brexit. They've not been discussed at all. NATO has not been an issue in this campaign. Right. Um, and, and and nor, too, has internal security. There are so many things that one could criticise the election campaign for. You say focus on Brexit. I say, yes, there has been a focus on Brexit, but it's been very superficial.
0: Right. Focusing on the word and on the emotions and obviously right. on what is going to potentially win the election, but not the... I mean, as, as you've, I think, painted the picture there, it feels like uh, they're going to be dealing with things you might say making things up as they go along. yes Um
1: I'm I'm very um full of regret to tell you that I agree with that. I think the whole issue of Brexit is not thought through and not well articulated by either of the two parties in contention in this election and it looks as if the government The Conservative government under Boris Johnson will win the election, right? uh, but they have not articulated the future relationship with the European Union at all.
0: Well, that is again one of those topics which we'll be picking up the thread of uh, in due course. But coming back to the NATO side of this, and you you spoke about um, Britain's potential contribution going forward being uh, unwavering. Uh, This lunch that President Trump had with the so-called two percenters, those who are spending uh, two percent plus of GDP on defence, is that a a very important part of NATO membership?
1: It is, um, but of course the two percenters include states that are very small and militarily barely significant. Um, um, What Trump would really like to see and one can understand this it's been in the NATO statutes for a long time that members should spend 2% of GDP on defense and actually that shouldn't be such a big task or big order given that um, capitals are uh, fully um, entitled to decide how they spend that 2% Um, there's an additional for example it could be on um a degree of military training within the police to deal with national emergency um the the other stipulation of course in the in the spending commitments is that 20 percent of the budget on defense should be spent on military hardware rather than simply on paying people to march up and down in uniform Mm. so so the two percent i don't think is a big ask it I understand why the United States is irritated by the failure of Europeans to um, take an adequate share of the burden. But a counter to that is that the United States could reduce its very high level of military expenditure, and that would rebalance NATO.
0: I mean, this question of cost sharing has been huge uh, with every yeah. one of the U.S. allies, and, and we here in South Korea, no exception. I think many of us will um, get a sense of what you're describing there from our own point of view. But, but, yeah. the, but, but the thing is that there's also this pushback. Um, for example, in Germany, popular pressure to rely less on the United States uh, militarily. Mm. What, what, what yeah, do you make of that friction? that's very interesting
1: because the the German strategic culture, if I may use um, a rather technical term. The strategic culture is how a, a state positions itself in terms of defense and security and what its level of ambition is. And the strategic culture in Germany, for obvious historical reasons, has tended to be highly pacifist. But over the decades, this is changing, and the level of defense spending in in Germany is about 1.4% not 2% as uh uh the Pentagon and the Americans would wish it to be it's about 1.4% but then again Germany counters by saying yes but we spend a lot on foreign aid budgets which reduce the risk of tensions and migration flows and this kind of thing so Germany tries to say that it spends proportionally more in other areas that um, reduce the need for military expenditure, um, expeditionary uh, humanitarian interventions, for example, out of, out of area. So um, the, the point that you're making, that the strategic culture under a certain popular shift, if you like, is, is extremely significant. And it's very gradual. It hasn't been dramatic. But we do see this over decades, that in Germany there is a greater willingness for Germany as the most powerful economic power in the European Union to take up more responsibility, both within NATO and within the European Union common security and defense policy. So, yes, I, I would agree there is a shift in Germany towards more acceptance but it's politically very toxic and um it's hard for a political party to be too outspoken about this increased Mm. commitment to security and defense but it's coming and it's it's a necessity i believe in the european context
0: dr sweeney thank you very much for offering your own analysis
1: thank you it's a pleasure to talk to you